Did you set the house on fire? Did you get your sister pregnant? Did you sell your grandma's kidney just for fun? You're a menace, you're a bastard, you're a son of a bitch. What is the worst thing? Worst thing? Worst thing you ever done? Worst thing you've ever done. Wow, that might be the most professional. <laughs> theme song adaptation that we've had so far. You know, I can't let you down. <laughs> I've let you down so many times over the years. Ladies that and gentlemen, I'm trying to bring it. If you had told me 8 9 Ten, years ago 12. that one day Angela Vita and I would be sitting oh down to do an episode together. I would have called you crazy. Angela Vita's dead. She died. <laughs> you don't call I her. I deleted the email address and everything. Animal. So you go by your my real legit my name. real name. Yeah. Well, it's so much better than my maiden name, which is the whole reason that Angela I remember. Vita was created. Sitgo. Sitgo. Yeah. Sounds like the gas station. Yes. It was bastardized in audition rooms all over Manhattan, and I couldn't take it anymore. So I came up with Angela Vita. Being Italian, it was almost V-I-T-A, but I didn't want people like to sit on that T. Vita! Yeah, phonetics matter too much to me. So, yeah, I went with Angela Vita for a long time. It's so good to have you she's here. She's dead. It's so she's good to be dead. here. It's like Miley Cyrus. She's gone. Yeah, she's dead. Um, it is so good to be here. It's weird. It's a little surreal, if you will. I, uh, the other day, was talking to a friend about uh, the episodes that I've been putting together. And I said, um, it all just kind of was birthed by accident. And um, every day I get emails and every day I delete them because a lot of the time, uh, you know, not everyone understands the assignment. Like some people tell me just like a nonsense story that has no beginning, no middle and no end. It's just a whole bunch of like facts. And then every now and then you get one that's like gold. And I, somebody said to me, well, how much longer do you think you can do this? And I was like, trust me. I got stories that'll go way into season three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you and equally bad. But you're also what people don't realize. I mean, maybe if you had started this pre-lockdown, but you're gonna go back to living, which means that you specifically are just gonna keep creating stories. Stories because you're I made one do the other day. Things, <laughs> terrible things are gonna happen to you. So there's no shortage. That person must have not known you very well. Angela, what I like about you is that you're one of those people who just goes for it. You don't wait for a right time. You don't write for the right, right no. season. You just, you have these thoughts, these goals, and you nail them. You go for them and you pull your whole heart into them. You're one of those people that I, I talked about in a previous episode where you feel like you're actually going on track with someone when you're, when, when you're along with you. I try. I mean, I, I the, what a glowing endorsement. <laughs> Someone should tell 23-year-old Angela that this is happening. Uh, let me hop in my time machine, take a break. But yeah, I mean, I certainly try to give that impression. Yeah. I did hit pause on my life for a long time to focus on other things. And it was a bit of a metamorphosis, but it was necessary. It was cool to be able to take that liberty and just like go in the bunker for five years. You're and also one of those kind of people who never really has to stretch for the word, for the right thing to say. It seems to come very naturally to you. That's true. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, when thinking about getting together with you and doing this podcast, I thought I'm kind of putting on this hat that I haven't mm -hmm. worn in a long time. And I think like many people who went into lockdown, they had to kind of reevaluate who they were and 
how they interacted with the world and were those interactions really genuine or were they birthed out of coping mechanisms or whatever? And I realized I'm genuinely not quite as extroverted as I play on TV <laughs> and that I just really like to run the room because yeah. I feel like I'm the most capable person to You've do it. You've also mastered the art of getting mad without getting loud. <laughs> and I am looking forward to mastering that myself. My mother, who will listen to this because she's a big fan of both mine and yours um, and listens to everything that I record taught me how to do that I didn't even curse until I was in college or after because my mom taught me that the scariest thing you can do is to get angry in a way that's unpredictable to people if I can tell our listening audience I won't quote it word for word in fact I'll make something up (laughs) Angela once told someone off not my (laughs) not me told someone off in front of my in front of me and a group of people that went something like just like Miss Columbia, the only way you'll ever win in life is by accident. It was <laughs> like silk off of a spool. And I remember sitting there being like, why can't I do that? <laughs> why, how, where do you master the takedown like that? Oh, and oh. it was effortless. It was like you were waiting for your opportunity to just say it. I was. And, uh, <laughs> and I always seize the opportunity, which you just said. But I think... You know, I do have to credit my mom for that, but I also, I want to take a moment to shout out all of the people who rejected me over the years (laughs) and who hated my guts and gave me opportunities to practice. Because you can hear about a skill, but if you don't have real life application, then you're never going to fine tune your art. And boy, did I have so many opportunities to practice telling people off. They were just <laughs> horrible to me over so the years. you were homeschooled. I was, not the whole way through, but yes, it explains a lot. So when you were homeschooled, does that mean that like when the yearbook came out, you were like best looking, most talkative, valedictorian, <laughs> I like to focus on what matters. I always want to lead with my intelligence. Was there a prom? Uh, so it's funny, I actually, despite being homeschooled, went to five, and unpopular. I, yeah. I didn't really, despite You were the being, least popular kid in your homeschool. I, yeah, I was. Despite being homeschooled and unpopular, I went to five proms in four years. Nice. But what's funny is that when I did spend some time in Catholic high school, one of my teachers, who I loved, told my parents that I was the most popular, unpopular student <laughs> he had ever known. Which... If I were to get a superlative, that would be that. Would be I was 100% unpopular, but every single person knew who I was. Many people were sort of afraid of me, and it was just, it was a weird thing. It was a weird vibe. At the end of the episode, Angela's going to plug her, her stuff. stuff, her elbow, not her elbow, her, her uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I can't finish your sentence here. Oh, I have legitimately oh, uh, no idea. I had my mind lose me for a moment there. Um, handle! Elbow, oh my elbow, gosh. Hand, el- I don't know why I thought the word handle was elbow. We're going to analyze that. Um, as long as we're talking about elbow, you don't call your elbow an arm bump. You yeah. don't call your eyelid a blinky. You don't call your vulva a front bump. You don't call a penis a wink. A wink. <laughs> now that, of course, is a song that you wrote. I had, by the way, no idea that my stuff was going to get <laughs> quoted here. My eye keeps watering. It's allergy season. Um... But yes, I write raps and jingles, and I like to tell people I'm the best rapper that they don't know. You are a very good rapper. I am, I am, <laughs> I am actually a really good rapper. It's just a weird talent G-rated. that I had. G-rated. Yeah, I mean, it didn't used to be, but it is now. <laughs> it is now. I like to say that my stuff thematically is not for children, but I want parents 
to be able to play it around their kids if it happens, not for them. Parts but of it will go over it, their head, and then parts yeah. of it are definitely. Although for I'll adults. tell you right now, my kids sing that Volva Front Bum song mm-hmm. on the regular. They are big fans. I um, I I you have to laugh. I hope when I tell you this next part, we'll when see. you put out your song about um, parenting is political, mm-hmm. I did my part by sending it out to like 20, 30 friends. Of course, Thank semi semi tongue in cheek esque when mm-hmm. I sent it out. I'm one not insulted, my, I understand. One of my friends didn't realize that it was me sending this link and blocked me because they thought it was like a virus. <laughs> they thought that I was trying to like oh gain access gosh. to their devices. So they blocked me. So fast forward two months later, I keep messaging this person to no avail. Oh they don't reply. Gosh. I finally message them on uh, social media, on Facebook. And I'm like, how come you don't reply to my messages? And she's like... Send it right now. So I send it right there. She, I didn't get a thing. And I'm like, oh, you know what happened? <laughs> so I said, when I sent my friend's YouTube link, you probably Gosh. thought that I was trying to compromise your devices. She's like, that's exactly what I thought. You know, this this Billy Joel parody song came up, and I thought, this can't be for me. This person I, I is a criminal. I think my caption was, you hate Billy Joel, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, to make everyone happy, I will put a link uh, in this episode so y'all... Yeah, it's the only it. it's the only melody that I've borrowed <laughs> for any of my songs. All my other stuff is original music, but for my inaugural post, I said, you know, I need something that's like really fast no. and quippy. So I took "We Didn't Start the Fire" and I changed. We're the words. good people, you and I. Are we? <laughs> but we've done some stuff. We have. Which leads me to ask you, what was a younger Angela up to, and what did she do that was? That, so that, that earned my spot on this <laughs> podcast. So, you know, I didn't take notes. I wasn't that conscientious. But I thought about working into the conversation somehow that you and I, you know, were mortal enemies. And guys, yeah. <laughs> if you've never had a mortal enemy, I highly recommend it. Because a mortal enemy is just somebody that can be the scapegoat for all of your worries and your concerns. And like, it's a bad day. The weather is poor. It, it can all just, they're that person and they feel the same about you. So it cancels out. And it's really kind of a lovely way to exist for a while. Before you got here, Craig was like, what time is your friend coming? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Your friend. Who would have thought? But you and I were, you know, we're cut from the same piece of tinfoil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of used tinfoil burned around the edges. But we have a lot, aside from the fact that um, Brendan can't, can't do the, uh, the takedown, the quiet takedown. The quiet we takedown. Do, we do have a lot of other similarities. Um, I don't know if our younger selves were as in tune. If you go back, you know, 10, 15 years, all of the terrible things I did were mostly relationship-related, property damage, uh, I did once rip up every card and note that someone I was dating had ever given me. Did you give it back to um, him? And left it uh, stuck to his car while he, while he was <laughs> at work. That'll do Shredded. It. <laughs> um, the sweet part is he actually gathered it all and taped it all back together. That's effort. Yeah. Not my, he's not my husband. Not your husband. <laughs> no, he's not my husband. Although I did meet my husband through that guy. So <laughs> it's, you know, thanks for all that, I guess. But, uh. But younger, younger Angela, where this story comes from, had, she was still fine-tuning her takedowns. She was still getting rejected a lot. Friendship was really a foreign concept to her. But I, around the time that I entered high school, I did have a best friend. And I 
had often joked that she was my best friend because she didn't go to school with me. So she didn't see like the real you, you know, well, no, no, she didn't see that I was a social pariah. So she didn't <laughs> like, she didn't have to jump on the bandwagon of, you know, disliking me the way that everyone else did. Because anytime I started to make a friend in high school, they would sort of be peer pressured into not being my friend anymore. But this friend didn't go there. So it was much easier to maintain a friendship with her and be authentic. And, you know, she didn't have to know how everyone else felt about me. But our fathers had worked together and our mothers had been pregnant with our older brothers at the same time and pregnant with us at the same time. But then she had a little sister and my mom stopped it too. So (laughs) uh, we became friends around when we were 11 years old. Although I did almost break off the friendship a few months in because we went to see Titanic together. And and her crying was so excessive. That I felt really, I genuinely was like, (laughs) I took a break for a while after that. I was like, I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty in touch with my feelings, but this was so excessive. It's funny you say that uh, Lauren from episode one said she dated a guy who broke up with her because this is why she thinks maybe because when they would watch shows together on TV, she would laugh too hard at jokes and he would, he told, he critiqued her on her laughing. I mean, he's like, it's funny, but like. Not that. Not funny. that. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, like it's as funny as it is. You're you're welcoming too much mirth into your life, and this has got to stop. But yeah, this girl, and I mean this poor girl, she was 11 years old. I mean, I'm saying poor girl. Well, we did some things to each other, so you know. But I did take a break from the friendship after the Titanic episode, um, <laughs> and I would send her this link myself. I don't care if she listens to the story, so you know, I don't mind anything I'm going to say about her. Was there enough here. room on the headboard for both of them? I don't know. Me either. No. Um. I mean, I think they probably could have made it work. But then what would we watch for There'd three no hours? Room. What would Celine sing about? So, I mean, you remember like the 9 at 9 on Z100? It was like number one every day. Every day. Every day for America. Ever. So, a few years into our friendship, her parents asked if I would go with them to Myrtle Beach for two weeks. And I had just turned 14 years old. I was going into my sophomore year of high school. And I, um, if that math is confusing to you, I skipped a grade. So I was very young. Humble brag. No, in addition to all my other winning qualities, I was considerably younger than everyone in my grade. I was in regular, quote unquote, regular school at the time. But her parents said, hey, we want to bring Angela with us because we need a buffer, someone to entertain our children. Nice. And, you know, she seems fun, I guess. So um, I had never, like, gone to camp. I had gone on a two-night retreat my freshman year of high school, and my brother went also, but that was the only time I was ever away from my parents. So now I've got freedom and friendship and all this stuff that's foreign to me. And just to show you like where my priorities were, I didn't eat carbs or sugar for two weeks before I left. So many little rules, wow. Because I wanted to look great in my bathing suit, and how messed up is that? I was a literal child. 14, um, and you were yeah. like, I gotta lose some weight. Oh, I was so many years into an eating disorder by then, like you can't even imagine. So this was all like par for the course. So I went on vacation, and it was great because, you know, we were allowed to like, walk up and down the beach and her parents weren't there and my parents were I wouldn't call them strict they were just a little bit more there Mm -hmm. uh, than her parents were and her grandparents went on the trip too elderly Irish couple very sweet Uh, but it's important to note that they were there because they do factor later into the story and they also had to bring their parakeet so it was a real family affair you know they didn't want to bring anyone to bird watch and their parakeet 
was like free to roam the space. So, Outside the cage? Yeah. So it's me, the parents, uh, my friend, her little sister, her older brother, two grandparents, and a parakeet. Why someone has not made a film out of this yet? <laughs> I don't know. It might be a horror story. So we, you know, are frolicking in the sun. Mm. I'm, I'm doing things like body surfing that nice. I've never tried and, you know, whatever. And um, one day, we were in like a condo, a strip of condos. So we had a balcony and it connected to other condos you know overlooking the beach it was really wonderful and i was like i just want to get adopted into this family and we met some boys nice, down at the pool nice. and i had never met some boys? boys i know i was a kid i'd never met any boys but uh we, i met a boy named casey and i remember his name was casey because he was there with his brother, whose name we couldn't remember, so we called him JoJo. And how late 90s is that? JoJo! Casey and JoJo! JoJo! Yeah, they did what not... What song was that? All My Life. All My Oh, yep. you do not have the right to sing no. these songs. <laughs> I, uh, I remember that because I did dance to that song at a school dance with my freshman year of high school crush. Next to Cotton um, Eye Joe. I'm yeah, sure. of, of course. <laughs> I mean, 100%. And like Angel of Mine by Monica. Monica. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, all those old jams. So... I met Casey and he asked me if I wanted to go for a walk on the beach that nice. night. 14? Yeah, 14. Walking on the beach with a boy. Now, it's important to note that uh, I was as earnest as they come. And that is a quality I think you and I share that despite everything, we're very earnest people. And unless it's our own ulterior motives, we don't really anticipate them always in other people. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, this was just a walk on the beach to me. You know, I, thought I can go with this boy in the dark and it's going to be fine. <laughs> this stranger whose last name I didn't know, whose brother's name I didn't know. And like, I guess her parents were okay with it or whatever, because I, I assume I had to ask, but I was set for my nighttime beach walk with a stranger. And I was very excited about it because this was really like the most exciting five days of my life so far. And I was also working through all of my summer reading for school. And I was on The Grapes of Wrath uh, at the time by John Steinbeck. And I always think that this story, because, you know, I love a good story. And I know you appreciate, obviously appreciate that also. The story would be made so much better if it was of mice and men that I was reading. And I don't know that everyone who listens is going to get that reference. But the story is about two guys and the one guy is too strong for his own good and he like kills the animals. So it would be so much better if the Steinbeck that I had been assigned went with my story, but it was the Grapes of Wrath. So just a lot of dust bowls, um, really dry, not one of my favorite Steinbecks, but I really love to read. So I took the assignment very seriously. It was August. So truthfully, I didn't have that much time left to read it. And I was thinking about my date and I was reading Steinbeck and I was going to head out to read on the balcony and I was reading while walking, which when you live in a house without small pets, as I did back home in New Jersey, you don't think about what's on the ground. You don't look where you're walking. Oh, no, no, no. So no. Uh, the family was watching TV in the living room, which opened up to the balcony and I was excitedly skipping through Tonight. with Tonight. my Steinbeck thinking about my date. Your date. And there was a rocking recliner to my left and a small blue parakeet on the floor 
who I stepped on. Oh, no. And as he tried to escape me, he also went under the rocking no. recliner. So now, yeah, I don't know if somebody turned off the TV Ugh. or the people on the TV just decided to stop speaking because I just went silent. And the whole family was Hurt. there as the bird is now... It was, now I had a parakeet who had passed away a few years earlier. I am an animal lover. Right. I mean, first of all, even if you're not an animal person, obviously no one ever, you know, death by Steinbeck skipping. So I, um, now this is like pre cell phones, pre whatever. It's not so easy to call for help or get information. So my friend's lovely Irish grandma scoops up the bird and she's sitting in the recliner and I'm sobbing, oh, looking through the yellow pages for a vet because... Bird vet. For a bird vet. <laughs> and, and, you know, some of the stories I've listened to in your podcast the were funnier than this. The robot got caught by the wily coyote. Oh, I was a wily coyote. And I'm looking through my tears. They're, they're wetting the phone book. Everyone's screaming. They're trying to keep the little sister oh, out of the room no. so she doesn't know what happened. And the bird died in her lap. Oh. So now... He's not even home. They can't give him Everyone a proper burial. Him. Everyone hates me. It gets. What did they do with him? You know, they said they were going to take care of it, and they didn't tell the kid. Maybe they told the older brother, but they didn't tell us. So now, my friend, I mean, truthfully, they were so kind to me about it. They knew that obviously it was an accident and that I felt terrible, and I think they all kind of felt like the bird could have, like, flown away when he saw me coming. I didn't... I didn't run through a top speed i i didn't do track you know it wasn't like i um had had any kind of real you know sports skills so you think it could have been avoided but it was just we were all in the wrong place at the wrong time and my friend closed herself in our shared room for a little bit and she said i'm not mad i just need a little time process and i said i can cancel with casey Like, like, it's still on the horizon, <laughs> F to the Y yeah. to the I. Uh, it's T minus four hours until my nighttime beach walk. What would you like me to do? Do you need do? me to cancel my date? Yeah. By the way, I have a date tonight. So that can, <laughs> we can mourn your bird together. Um, you can postpone this. And girl. she actually said, no, no, I think I'd like to have some quiet time. I will sit on the beach and watch you on your walk and just be alone for a little while. And it was so sad. But now I'm trapped with these people. Like normally you have, I mean, we still had over a week left of our two week vacation. And that's not even, I think if you rounded up this family and you asked them what the worst thing that I did to them on that trip was, would it be killing their bird? Or would it be that we had to leave our condo in the cloak of darkness and be moved to a new condo for the rest of our vacation because there was a group of 20-somethings drinking in the shared pool, which wasn't allowed, and there was a baby in the pool, and I went and told them off, and they threatened us. This was a few days later, after the bird death. Now, you know, I'm trying to make things right, and I see these people, and I'm, my parents used to call me the public defender. You know, I always had to, oh, sure. So I see these, you know, these young 20-somethings in the pool, spilling beer into the pool with funnels. And there's like a little baby swimming and there's a sign that says you can't drink in the pool. And so I go over and I'm like, what do you think you're doing? Blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and they said, you know, we know which balcony is yours. You know, you better be sorry, whatever. So I tell my friend's parents, 
like this girl just can't stop so they like tell the condo management and they said we're going to move you we have another building so they moved you down the street they said wait until like it's dark and we're just going to move you out and they moved us out and then a few days after that um it came out through a big argument between my friend and her mom that uh, her brother had feelings for me. No! <laughs> <laughs> On the vacation? On the vacation. Oh. In the new condo. We still had four days left. Um, How did Casey feel about this? Casey was Casey left in the cloak of night. I watched him out my window leave. He never said goodbye. Oh. I didn't even say how the date went because that's how not memorable it was. We walked next to each other and picked up shells. And he probably didn't know what to do either. So that's all we did. We didn't even hold hands. And then he said, thank you for the nice walk. And that was it. Um, I guess, you know, it was a nice way to have a... A nighttime beach experience. Although, did I tell him about the dead bird? Like, did he say how was your day? Like, did, well, you won't believe I, I did answer? this morning. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I brought my authentic self to that beach walk. <laughs> I can't recall. So, we had the dead bird. We had the leaving the condo. We had the older brother. brother. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because the older brother ended up sort of being the longest relationship that I had. That was never a relationship. We liked each other for. Like five years. Did you send your your friend to therapy over this and weekend? Never, uh, I never actually dated or anything. It was just, we would just like hold hands and watch a movie and that was it. Um, yeah, I may have. She ended up ending the friendship what, two years later. Um, wow, she held on. Yeah, she did. She hung in there. I don't know. I don't know if we all took a break from each other after that. But she... Uh, I was heading off to college and she was the same age as me, but she was two grades below me because I skipped and she missed the cutoff. Hmm. So she was a sophomore when I was a senior and she had a really hard time with the idea of me going away. She was worried I was going to find new friends. And I'm thinking it took me all these years to find you. I really wouldn't sweat it. (laughs) But she said, you know, um, I need to take some space from you because you're going to college and I need to really make some friends at my own school. And you're probably, uh, you're going to be really miserable without me anyway, you know, cause like I had a boyfriend by then and stuff and she was just, I was moving on, I guess. But you know, she was right. She never knew, but I did not make friends at college. So she was correct. She was correct. It was a spell. Uh, yeah. It was she, a curse. she left. I think so. I think she had like some sort of sage or something at the time. Um, but yeah, she she cursed me. Wow. And it was right because I went to college and I crashed and burned. And she did show up a few years later hmm. trying to uh, reignite things. And she had a long-term boyfriend that she had actually started dating right after she ended our friendship. So I guess she did sort of like go back out into the world and, and move on. Um, but he and I didn't like each other. And he said, you have to choose. And they're married now. So... <laughs> That was, that was like a whole thing. Um, but it was, it wasn't just the worst thing I'd ever done. It was like the worst couple of weeks I'd ever done. It yeah. was just rough. It you was, did a lot. Yeah, it was. You I was packed real it in. Rabble rouser. <laughs> and they never asked me to go on vacation ever again. And um, you know, I kind of just like went back to my my basic life. Although now I I I did also like her brother and. We held hands for five years. Like, in between, like, every time I break up with a boyfriend, I'd be like, oh, hey. Like, it was so weird and stark. Terrible friend. Yeah, it was not. I love it, though. We're going to take a little break. 
When we it's come such back, a downer. The story was not as rollicking. When we come back, stuff. I will also talk about um, not seeing the signs. Okay. Okay. Um, we're gonna have a little drink, and uh, all will be well. And, and we're, we're back. back. Wow, you're just harmonizing. <laughs> Most people don't. I, take yeah, the initiative. I, well, first of all, after that really downer story, I, I still have to like add a little zhuzh, you know, to the whole thing. I must say, um, my story is about not necessarily seeing the signs when they are presented to you, like not quitting while you're ahead. You know? Okay. Um, I'm very, a, a common theme in my life is like realizing too late that you're not only like one foot wrong, <laughs> Like, you're, you're, you're in the wrong universe. This tracks with my knowledge of you, yes. So, when I was in college, I took a performance art class and loved it. Loved Marina Abramovich, who is like the most well-known performance artist out there. She did a piece once where she recorded herself several times uh, stabbing a knife around her hand and occasionally actually stabbing herself and in the hand and in the fingers. Wow. And then recording that, doing it again, recording the recording, and so it was every time she did the piece, it was different pieces of the recording of her stabbing herself screaming and new, newly stabbing herself screaming. And people would come to watch these displays. I was captivated. It's absolutely wild. I mean, not all performance art is uh, to that degree. Sure. But I mean, it keeps you interested. Yeah, it's the unpredictability. Exactly. And I'm so glad you said unpredictable. <laughs> so... Our teacher, this woman named Kathy, she invited us all to the city to see her piece. She was in a series of pieces. At, uh, a, 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 it, was a, it wasn't necessarily a theater. It was like a, it was a building that had an elevator. Um, different art pieces, installations were going on in this building. And I remember not wanting to go because I didn't particularly like her that much. She just, she didn't like anyone's work in class. Mm. She, I think she thought she was the true performance <laughs> artist. Nobody else could come close. Um, one day, she, this kid, he was trying to do a piece and it involved a fan, like speaking into the fan, and she let him know in front of the entire class, like, this is not performance art. It has to actually like make the, the viewer think, right? One of my pieces that I did in class, um, which I, 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 I unveiled a uh, chessboard but all of the pieces were the same color and they were all pawns. And I sat someone down to play with me. And only seconds later did they realize, oh no, they're all the same color <laughs> and they're all pawns, which was like the point sure, of my of performance course. Yes. Piece. Wow. That's, she didn't like that's, it. That's a little on the nose. And I had to buy two, well, two or three different just set pieces just to get enough pawns. That's a cost, lady. Come I on. returned them later. I don't want you to think that <laughs> oh, like I, which, I kept yeah. it. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I don't know what everybody's getting for Christmas this year. Here's your very own. Just said. <laughs> just said. So we, she invited us all to the city to see um, not just her piece, but everyone in her performance art pieces uh, uh, show. And I remember like being very interested in um, interactive art. Um, for example, there was a piece that she did, she showed us on video, where people would whisper secrets into her ear. You could just tell her your secrets. That was the end of the piece. Now, um, I, I, I wish I, going into it, didn't have such high expectations. Because my expectations, <laughs> for some reason, were just a little too high. 
Now, when I got off the elevator, I walk out into this room and there's people just surrounding the circumference of the room. And in the middle of the room, there was a woman in a very odd uh, position. She was partially on her shoulder. One of her legs was up. Her other arm was kind of up around the back of her head. She looked like a contortionist. And I remember thinking, my God, before I'm even off the elevator, I am captivated. <laughs> and I'm already thinking, like, as I'm getting off the elevator, Wait till later when I tell people <laughs> that it started as I was walking interactively out of the out of the elevator. Because as you live, you you build the story for later. And my expectations were so high that all I could think, if this is where we're, if this is, if this is the tip of the iceberg, sure. what, what else do I have to look forward to? Like, this is going to be an evening to remember. So people are, are around her, and I hear her murmuring, and I think, mm-hmm, I know what this is. <laughs> I know what's going on. And I'll be the first to get the ball rolling. So I'm like, I have to go whisper a secret in this woman's oh, ear. I know what this is. So I, I crawl over to her, and she's on the ground, murmuring. And I listened. I, put, I remember vividly putting my ear to her lips so I could hear what this performance artist had to say. It was incoherent, though. I didn't really understand what she was saying. But, you know, that's okay. I'll whisper my secrets in her ear. So I think I got down real close and I was whispering, like, a secret. Like in my, I think at, at the time it was like, oh, I, I hope that someday I can um, <laughs> have my own ice cream flavor named after me. You know, like just nonsense wishes, right? And everyone around me is like, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, you whisper. You whisper. <laughs> I'm like kind of letting people scoop. know, like, sure. like yeah. I have a textbook in my car. Like, I, I know what this is. So people are not taking my lead. And I'm like, a fr- friend of mine from class was there. And I was <laughs> like, do, are you going to do it? And she goes, like, do what? And I'm like, go whisper a secret. And she's like, I don't, I, don't, I, I think... I don't think that's what this is. And I'm like, whatever, peon. I'm going to enjoy the rest <laughs> of the performance art piece. Right. So I walked around this very large space room, and there was other art going on. Um, like somebody had, uh, they, were, they, they were the clock. At one point, they were like ticking along. So two of the people, they were stuck in a, um, uh, this wall, like facing each other, and you had to kind of walk through them. But it was your choice to decide if you kind of like put your crotch along the male or if you kind of rub your crotch along the female because they're both facing each other yeah. it was your choice to decide like who you were going to be nose to nose with and that was the piece it's like who does that what does that say about you as a person if you, you're yeah. forced to walk through this thing like you're forced to yeah. um be part of it so all the pieces weren't as good and it was the other pieces were not good enough so i was like i'm just gonna get my quote-unquote money's worth i'm gonna go back to the beginning and witness some more of this <laughs> uh, performance art piece on the ground so when I got back there, she's not there. And I'm thinking maybe my first thought, maybe she's taking a break. Sure, it's hard to keep your... It's hard to do this for X amount of time. On the ground. And then um, I, I hear a sound off near the um, elevators. And there's two or three um, like EMTs. And they have the woman on one of those hard flat boards. And they've like, um, they belted her to it. And it turns out um, that she wasn't a performance artist at all. She was a woman who had a seizure on the floor of the art studio. She was not a participant. And I whispered secrets in the ear of a woman 
Who was seizing. Who was seizing on the ground. So, so you crawled over and told this woman about your ice cream flavors in lieu of dialing 911. <laughs> Is it weird that 12 years of friendship has brought us to me hearing this story for the first time in this moment? What, when, what How much of an asshole was I? That, How like, did you my not imagination... share this on episode one? <laughs> my imagination was so great I that mean, I, I remember looking at this, what I thought was a piece, and thinking, I have never in my life seen well, anything quite like this. To be fair, the context really mattered. If, if you were, say, at ShopRite, you would not have probably crawled on the floor. No. I don't know. I still don't know that you would have called 911 either. But I don't know that you would have thought, wow, look at this immersive Immersive. You put me right into the heart of it. And I look back on it now and I'm like, no wonder (laughs) when you had your ear to her lips, nothing she was saying was actually coherent. Like, that's how much of an asshole I was that that instead of actually helping someone, I thought they were art. But like... Look at where they were, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair, I don't know that the you of college would have helped the person on the floor in the supermarket either. I don't know. I don't know. Who can say? <laughs> but I, I can say that I understand why you thought it ain't good. you were on it. No, it ain't good. I mean, the hubris that you had to think that you knew something everybody else did, you know, makes sense. But, I mean, to pick that spot is is a... Cruel irony oh. for all, for all. I That's... failed that class. Did you really? <laughs> <it? laughs> wow, that was excellent. Oh, thank you know, you. I have to respect the delivery of that timing too. You failed that class. <laughs> you could not perform life nor art to someone's satisfaction. Now, let's say I was going to become a performance artist. What a great piece, though, right? To, to captivate people the moment they walk in, to force them into your world, <laughs> not the other way around. Like, just wild. Yeah. I'm going to need a drink after that one. Angela, we're going to take a little break, and we'll come right back. And, and we're, we're back. back. That one got a little weird. It got off I, I wanted to go, you know, you started high, I wanted to start low, and we, we did, we did, uh... Meet on the same note. It's not a perfect world. Said, done. No, that's fair. <laughs> so that's a fair. It's a ago, metaphor. It's a you were saying metaphor. that um, you were very impressed with like how fast this is like all taken off. Like over four hundred subscribers. I don't know four hundred people. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> a bullface lie. I, well, I, I. But I get what you're I, saying. I know of them, but like it's it's impossible to maintain relationships with more than like. 10 people at a time. You know, that study just came out last week that says you can't have more than 150 friends. I, I can't even think about 150 people. I mean, I know we know them, but like, I have just sort of scraped together since, you know, the earlier story was about my dearth of friendships. I mean, as an adult, you know, I've sort of just amassed like five cool people and that's, I think that's all you need. How many people do I need? Four people. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't, I've learned 40 years that you can't tell your business to everyone, you know, because then it's not special. You have, have to learned. have, yeah. <laughs> you have to have 
like your core five, but within the core five, there's like two. Sure, one million percent. They they know things that would put you in jail, you know, like whereas everybody else in that little core five, they get the highlights. And what's really interesting is that because for me, I, my good friends, you know, many of them have not known me that long. Mm. And so, you know, there's, there's just versions of Angela that just nobody knows about who currently is in my life. And I don't know if that says more about them, that they didn't have staying power, or more about me, that, like, those versions of Angela weren't worth versions. hanging around, you know. But, um, and it's, but it's tough because I think people can, can kind of get stuck in knowing you a certain way. And I think it probably says a lot about me and where I am now that the friends that I have now are people that I've made when I'm happiest with myself. Mm-hmm. And I've learned the hard way. You cannot force a friendship. It's just no. not going to happen. Like, for example, the other day when I, I messaged you about that funny story about, uh, you know, commenting on someone's birthday post <laughs> yes. and saying, oh, that was so beautiful what you wrote about your friend on their birthday, only to find out that the only reason the post was posted was because that friend was since deceased. Yeah. And... How was I supposed to know that that person was deceased? And like, and that also, doesn't take away from what I said. It does not. It does if, not detract. If anything, if anything, it's on them because, you know, did you tell them when they were alive? No. You, know? you didn't tell them when they were alive. You I only hope. told them. You can't even read it. I'm the only one who can read it. Yeah, and you appreciate it. I appreciated it because I'm a lot. This is going, this is showing you a, he's a, a, carrying, dark, he's a darker side some, of my psyche. Uh, some bitterness about this still, folks. And, but uh, I'm trying so hard to make time. friends still, even at 40, I'm trying. And I feel like maybe you're trying too hard, you know? First of all, I can say that the one thing that you and I don't have in common mm. is a need for friendship. <laughs> I'm like, like I was indoors for these past 14 months or whatever. And that's cool. Like I could have stayed indoors. It's really like, I'm, I don't have that drive for socialization, um, the way that you definitely do. But I think... If, if I could, you know, do an armchair commentary on you, I think that you are looking now for those real friends. Where yeah. before, you just liked the entourage. You liked, you know, having people who knew you and having people who wanted you places and all of that. And I think now you're looking for something a little bit different. But it is hard to come by when you're older. Um, even though I think once you get there, it's more genuine than, you know, some of the stuff you had a general use, some of the yeah. stuff one had in one's younger years. I mean, I had I had nice friends here and there, but I don't know what happened. And you will again. Yeah, <laughs> I'm tired. I don't know if I could like, it's just, you know, it's tiring to meet people and like do all that stuff. Well, Angela, we've reached my favorite part of the Yeah, oh, I get to evening, choose. Where just like a poker player, I shuffle the <laughs> stories and you decide which one is speaking to I'm you. I'm ready, I'm ready. You let you go, you, you reach when you're ready. Okay. There you go. All right. We're ready. Am I reading? You can read anything because I've edited okay. them so no one gets in trouble. So should I, should I say that this is the person's name? Yes. Okay. Today's story comes to us from Alan. <clears throat> I was a lot younger and a lot thinner when I used to run competitively. Nice. Okay. They could travel fast. They might have stomped on a parakeet or two in their time. <laughs> now I'm just a drag queen whose wig collection spills out of my garage into my guest bathroom. <laughs> that I'm a little jealous to hear that. I am more of a homebody now. Who enjoys a good cocktail and everlasting episodes of the Golden Girls? I, I don't see any problem with any no of this. No problem. 
I love the Golden Girls. I wasn't always so lazy though. Oh, don't indict yourself. I need you to know, I once ran the Las Vegas Marathon. <laughs> All right, Alan barreled down that strip to get home and watch the Golden Girls. I was one of those people who couldn't run for five minutes at first. Oh, I know what that's like. I'm yeah. actually running now. And like, I, I was the person who was like, eh, five minutes, call today. We'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that sounds nice. But then steadily, I started increasing my time. I learned how to push through the pain and find my second win and block it all out. Running is very mental. I also learned a little sweating never hurt anybody. Okay. <laughs> do, do you know what that is? I think that's a quote by Beyonce. <laughs> is it? A little sweating never hurt nobody. <laughs> I guess that's true, yeah. I wonder if Alan realizes that um, or if it just like went in there by osmosis or maybe Alan listens to Beyonce while running, Yeah, you know, and she's influenced him that way. Because if I were to ever run, I've actually done two half marathons in my time and walked much of them, but Beyonce was on repeat. Nice. So now we've got Alan. Alan was younger and thinner and used to run, but is talking about what it took for him to run. Okay. Ask anyone and they will tell you that running on a treadmill couldn't be more different than running outside. Mm-hmm. Mm, preach. It's almost impossible to take water with you running outside. Music in your ears makes all the difference in the world and sometimes that's hard to do outside. There's also more distractions when you're running outside. Oh yeah. Traffic, weather, squirrels! Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got a little case of ADD going on. Yeah, can you, I mean, you have to say squirrels like that if you see the word squirrels with an exclamation point. I can honestly tell you running outside is not for beginners. It took me years to understand the focus it takes to align your body in the world so that everything works flawlessly. Hmm. Okay. Sounds like running has had a big impact on Alan's life, despite the fact that he doesn't do it anymore. Um, so I'm interested as to, is this story going to be about the ceasing of his running career? Let's continue. So I've been running and someone mentions I should try to start training for the marathon. Nice. At first it seemed silly, but then I'm thinking, what am I putting all this time in for other than just to try to stay skinny? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You could try to stay skinny for a lot less effort. So you should try to do something. This is fair. Why not try something? Push myself. Give myself something to look forward to and to reach for. So I start motivating myself to run this marathon and then I register for it. So now I have to do it. I've spent money. <laughs> it's true. As soon as you spend money, spend that's money it. you're on you the have hook, to do man. it. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. man. All right. Alan has spent his money and his time. The month training before the marathon was nothing short of insurmountable. I was wondering sometimes why I was putting myself through this hell. But then I'd have a really good training day with my running team and I'd be reconnected and reminded of my goals. That's nice. And hey, one day I will look back and say, remember when? That's kind of what this email is. <laughs> All right. So let's fast forward now to the marathon. It's a beautiful hot day. I'm juiced, I'm psyched, I'm ready. Juiced, is it? I'm assuming that Alan doesn't take steroids, but right, that's that's like a I don't think so. A saying. I, but juiced, he probably means like got the juices flowing. I know. I was trying to make it. Oh, I see. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sometimes they don't land. Okay. As the marathon starts, it's easy, breezy, beautiful. I'm killing it. I'm not overexerting <laughs> myself. I'm breathing well. I'm making good time and covering ground. Every now and then, a bystander will hand me 
a small cup of water. Aww. And I like to reward myself with a nice little sip from a do-gooder. When I start to <laughs> like feel like, yeah, like I just can't take it anymore. It's a serious exercise in how thin can I stretch myself? Is it torture? Yes, but I kind of like it too. So I'm absolutely dying running this stupid marathon. <laughs> how things have changed. And somewhere around mile eight, or maybe it was nine. Oh God, honey, you have so far to go. This adorable little girl was by the side of the road and she's holding a big container of Swedish fish Yay! for people to take for extra energy. Don't you feel like Swedish fish like were so huge in the nineties? And then do, do they still sell them? Yeah. They were like a thing. It was like a cultural thing that everybody loves Swedish fish, and now I never see them anywhere. I, we, at my office, they used to give us uh, Red Hots, those um, uh, kind of like Swedish fish. Yeah, but they're like, aren't they like crunchy at first and then they're soft? They're, they like have like a coating. Swedish fish are like floppy. floppy. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I don't know if Swedish fish wants to use that in their advertising, but <laughs> apparently that's the impression that they give, that we could say floppy at the same time. She, all right, so we're back to this little girl. The, the marathon's not even halfway over. We've got a little girl with a container of Swedish fish. She's so sweet. She's cheering everyone on and she's excited and adorable. You have to understand all <laughs> I had this morning is a banana. All right, whoa. The tone has changed, Alan. I feel like you're getting a little confrontational. You're obviously hangry. But you also have to understand Swedish fish is my absolute favorite candy. <laughs> all right, whoa. So, like, this is like a trigger situation. He has seen the beacon of Swedish fish in the form of a little girl L holding a Little container. sips of water aren't yeah, cutting it anymore. No. I have been good with my foods and eating for months. Oh, man. I, Alan, I, I, I feel understand. you. Yeah. As, as someone, you know, with a, with a bit of a background, I know what it's like to when you're ready to crack. Like yeah. pizza. Oh. oh. I could feel my stomach lurch <laughs> and then my body dive for this little girl. These fish don't have a prayer and neither did she. <laughs> Boy, Alan woke up and chose violence. Okay, this poor little girl, she went to the store and she didn't know when she picked out, but her parents like wanted to let her take part in it. You know, I have kids like, you like to let them choose things. They feel so empowered. I bet this little girl chose Swedish fish and she didn't know. She didn't know it was coming. You have to understand. We have to understand a lot, Alan. I was delirious with exhaustion and exhilaration. I was moving like a machine and a machine does not have the capacity to think or feel. <laughs> We've got a running robot on our hands, folks. I am running so fast and I am so motivated to stay on task. I completely plow this little girl over as I grab for these delicious red fish. I am not going to underplay it. I completely knock this little girl over with the force of a big gay tidal wave. Oh, gosh. Oh, this poor girl. This girl is crying on the ground. I literally tackled this girl. And... There is no way I'm stopping. No way. <laughs> no way I'm apologizing or going to see if she's okay. I keep going. And isn't that just great advice for life? <laughs> I don't know that it is, Alan. I don't know that it is. I really love that you were excited about your goals, but I don't know. 
I don't know if that is the humanity. Plow through. Sure, because on one hand, there are goals. Goals mm. fueled by a tiny red floppy fish. And I respect that. <laughs> but on the other hand, there are small defenseless children. And we want them to grow up empowered and without fears of runners, maybe. <laughs> without fears of red dye 40. Right. You know, I just don't like what was her takeaway oh. of of gay tidal waves? Like, I don't know. Let's I could hear other runners and bystanders all collectively gasp as this little <laughs> girl goes flying like a beach ball. She, the fish, and the remainder of my adult dignity just flew to the winds as I devoured a small handful of those delicious spicy red candies and I didn't even miss a step. <laughs> my balance did not falter for a second. If anything, that candy pushed me harder and further, not to mention some of the fear and guilt. I think to go stronger and harder and faster and get to the end. Get the hell away. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to worry, like, are they going to press charges? You know, that would like, definitely make me run faster. Would he be, like, looking behind him as he's running? Like, is, there, is your father going to, like, <laughs> knock me out? Well, he says, if people were upset at me, bystanders... Her family, other runners. I never found out. No one ever brought it up to me after the race or ever again for that matter. It was indeed the worst thing I ever did. I'm sorry it sounds so funny. I mean, it is. <laughs> so, little girl in Vegas, 2010, you're probably an adult now, but if you are listening, I apologize to you. And the Swedish fish were much appreciated. You're probably working on the strip as a showgirl. <laughs> And I will always wish you well. Oh. Wow. You know, that was a ride. It started out with like, you know, I felt a little, uh, I felt like maybe I should put on my running shoes, you know? Talking you about, felt motivated? Yeah. yeah, like goals and how hard running is. And I was like, gosh, I too have been sitting around watching Golden Girls reruns. And then the story of this marathon. But also what I'm really curious about, you know, what's the story that's not on the page? Because... Alan has this experience and he wishes this girl well, but he does mention he's no longer running. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> so maybe she wasn't the only one scarred by this experience. And, you know, if he's listening, I hope that he gets back on the pavement and rewrites that narrative. Maybe next time it'll be... I love that in his mind, he's, he's, he's put her on the strip working as a showgirl. Like, like <laughs> yeah, I may have, like, um, I may have plowed you over, but... Uh, I've decided to recast you in the story of your life as a show, as a Vegas yeah, show. Yeah, like maybe, maybe she's an astronaut. I don't know. Like maybe, but you know, I, I don't know. He put her on the on the strip, and I'm certainly not disparaging showgirls. I hope that she didn't sustain any injuries and that she can do those high kicks or whatever's required to be in the backup for Celine Dion. Oh, so. <laughs> My heart will go on. Oh, that we talked about the full circle. We're gonna take a little break and we'll be right back. And, and we're, we're back. back. A little better. Yeah, I mean, it, it was an improvement over the last one. Um, can I issue the correction oh, that please. when I looked upon the script, uh, the email printed after we went to break, I saw that it's H. Allen. H. Allen. H. As in. Hello, Hello. welcome to this podcast, Alan. <laughs> so H. Allen, I apologize for calling you Alan the whole time, but I think your story still rang as true as it would have no matter what I called you. 
So tonight's final story I'm is excited. from Deborah. Deborah. Deborah says, I used to work for a company that specialized in weight loss health benefits, mostly for women who had a lot of money and a lot of extra time to waste. <laughs> I can't say we helped everyone as it wasn't exactly designed to make you lose weight, but it focused mostly on sales and getting clients to, uh, but, but to buy more into the program. It sounds like Deborah sent a lot of those. Hey, bestie emails. <laughs> we have an appointment for you. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of clients in the system that it worked for, but I'm guessing more like 25% achieved what they actually wanted. Our owners and our superiors were constantly pushing us on sales tactics. Have you ever heard of the expression, they cry, they buy? Well, we invented that. <laughs> Yikes. Not nice. The saddest part of the program was all clients were expected to buy bulks of these energy bars, which tasted more like candy bars. So I had to sell people on the benefits and get them to buy their boxes, which just seemed to fly in the face of health and eating and proper exercise. I was always so tired of burning my candle at both ends. Meanwhile, my clients were putting the wax back on the candle. <laughs> I, like, I like the addition to that metaphor. That's, I'm going yeah, to pocket that for good. another time. Get the yeah. wax back on the candle. <laughs> yeah, really. I had a divisional manager there in charge of the East Coast who came like once a week. She was as nasty as she was skinny. <laughs> <laughs> she was as fake as she was peppy. <laughs> she was as mean as she was wealthy. <laughs> okay. What? She didn't hide her addiction to brand names and her gorgeous lifestyle. We all once did the math, and for every box of candy bars we sold, she made 11 cents. Now, mind you, this company was nationwide. Let's say her name was Jess. Jess made customers think she was excited and cared. In reality, she looked down on everyone. Turnover at our job was so frequent in the company because Jess would fire everyone. You could get fired from everything, from not taking proper notes and accounts to giving a client anything free, like time. Very frequently, customers would come in and need to repurchase more time to continue their program. But a lot of them couldn't afford to purchase supplements, bars, and then more time. So in our computer, there were accounts from customers who stopped coming years ago. If you stumbled into one of these accounts, you'd see sometimes the customer had bolts of bars that they never took with them. They purchased them, but didn't take them all and likely just abandoned them um, when they stopped coming in. If you had a customer who needed to buy time, sometimes you'd make a secret swap. You'd give them free bars that you deducted out of a dead account in exchange for them actually going to buy more time on their account. Ah, it was a victimless crime. <laughs> but you had to be real careful how often you did it. Once a month was fine, but not every day. I love that I never know where these stories are going. Ever. I did not know that H. Allen was going to mow down a preschooler. <laughs> And Deborah is switching time for bars, and somebody's going down. Oof. I'm ready. I don't know. I, I didn't get fired. 
but it did take me a long time to quit properly with a new job lined up. Now, mind you, Jess hated me on site. I hate to say it, but I was prettier than she was. Oh! <laughs> this is just a natural fact. I mean, I guess so. She was a cunt because she knew I was pretty and she was just okay looking. Wow. She, you know, she had, uh, had said some stuff about her earlier. Once you drop that C word, you really like... Wow. My work ethic was on point. I have a great attitude and I'm never late. No matter what I did, Jess would spend days at our establishment and she'd bully me. Sometimes she'd sit in on the appointments that I'd have with customers and she'd make unsatisfied noises under her breath. Oh gosh. <laughs> That's the worst. It is. I think we've so all had passive aggressive. Like that. Yeah. Mm. Eh. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh. As, as I read their weight loss journals, or she'd jump in and overwhelm the customer with uh, questions she thought that I wasn't asking. Very often, both the client and I would sit there feeling shamed like a petulant child. <laughs> Just thought if she made my life at work difficult, I'd quit. She didn't know me very well. Ah. <laughs> nice, a little tenacity from Deborah. I can be very petty when I want to be. When I feel like someone wants to get something out of me that I won't give, I dig in with both hands and feet. <laughs> nice. I like this, Deborah. at least so far. She knew she couldn't fire me just for disliking me. But I just figured it was a matter of time before she caught me for something ridiculous. We all know this type of bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Did she write that? <laughs> She's right. She's right. She's right. We do. My revenge was petty, fun, and took time and patience. <laughs> Deborah is nothing if not patient. We, we can feel that. All over the office were the success story posters of different people all over the country who were all stars for having lost the weight with us. And with all these fake positive quotes simultaneously promoting our business. I have a lot of them. I, I know a lot of them were fake or exaggerated. Sadly, I'm sure when customers saw the posters, they all thought, that can be me. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever Jess was mean to me or said something rude or dehumanizing, I would pick the thumbtacks out of the bottom of one of the posters and with a black sharpie, I'd write on the white wall something like, Jess was a cunt today. <laughs> and then I'd write the date. <laughs> it happened so frequently, I ran out of posters to let to face. Under the clock on the wall. <laughs> Time's up, bitch. Oh my god. I did it behind the filing cabinet and I did it behind the refrigerator in the break room. <laughs> I had found all kinds of fun places to indelibly call my boss a cunt behind her back. <laughs> 
you know, people are taking notes. People are listening to this, and they're like, oh, "This is a, this is something." Because like schools everywhere, she still works there. Like, can you imagine how weird it is to like, oh yeah, over there, and over there, and she's standing right there, and it happened over there. Like, she has a meeting with Jess, and oh. she's like, "I have to go to the kitchen now." Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be right back. The day I gave my two weeks was a glorious one. She completely ignored me, pretended like I was invisible. She even told me if I didn't want to come the last week, I didn't have to. This is how much she didn't like me. She was happy to pay me to not see me. <laughs> I called the office a month after I quit <laughs> from a payphone. <laughs> a payphone? Wow. And she answered. I disguised my voice to sound, I don't know, ridiculously Southern. <laughs> <laughs> and told her, shall I do it in the one? Yes, her, please. It might be time to change the batteries in the clock on the wall. <laughs> and I hung up. Oh. Can only imagine in my head she getting up on the counter above the main counter in her Louis Vuitton stilettos, reaching for the round clock on the wall, only to see what awaited her behind it. It was so long ago. And I still get a kick out of it. But I don't know that she would have necessarily seen what's behind the clock and thought, let me check. I mean, maybe. I would have I would have checked everything. But like when you think in those terms, you know, unless she just thought, well, she called about the clock, it's just the clock. Wow. Damn. That is funny. I really appreciate how much front end detail people put into these stories to set the scene. You never know where it's going. No. That's what I was saying to you before, Angela. Like, I, I, I love my job, but, like, part of my job. is <laughs> like, I, will, I check my other email account. And some days, like, there's none. And then some days I go there and there's, like, ten. And not, just like in life, not everything's great. But, like, every now and then, <laughs> someone like Deborah writes you an email where you have no idea where it's going. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm so... <sighs> blessed and i guess now's the time to tell our listening audience that coming up not not too long from now i'm gonna have a serious episode because not everything is funny because i have received some really great emails from people who uh have a lot to get off their chest and it's not necessarily humorous and i think it's a nice balance between the humor and like the sad and um you know, I think I'll have a little trigger warning before the episode begins, letting people know that if you're looking for humor, not this episode. Not today. <laughs> but Although that's to be how it fair, is. I don't, I don't think my. You should maybe do like a, a content warning, animal death for my episode. You know, oh, little, somebody, little uh, FYI before you listen it to today. It was so bad. Poor. But poor you know, I, I want everyone to know that I did not tell even my husband this story until I told him that I was going to come on here and tell you. It was something that I had so much shame around and carried around and I had to call my parents for their birthdays while we were away. <laughs> and when I got off the phone, cause their birthdays are seven days apart and we were, I was gone for both of them. And when I hung up from their like joint birthday call, because you had to like call collect back to oh, yeah. cell phones, uh, the mom said to me, did you tell them about the bird? And I had it because it was so horrible. And I was like, oh, uh, mm, I'll wait. no, mm, I'll wait, I'll wait till I'm home. And she goes, that's good. You know, it's okay. And I mean, they were so kind, but I, there was just no, it's not really like a, an 
uplifting uh, knee slapper of a tail. Not gonna write a song about it. No, I don't. I don't think I will. <laughs> Keep your eyes which... down when you read your Steinbeck. <laughs> so you don't. Nothing rhymes with Steinbeck, though. Would you I like to sing with me real quick your song? I, I, I wrote the lyrics out. Wait, you wrote my mm-hmm. whole. Why don't we just? I don't know. I mean, you don't call, call your, your elbow, elbow an arm bump. bump. You, you don't, don't call your eyelid a blinky. <laughs> so you don't, don't call your vulva a front bum. You don't, don't call a penis a winky. Accurate anatomy names will prevent any feelings of shame. It really helps. It's a country song, by the way. <laughs> shame. And protect your child against those who think touching's like a game. We all should take pride in our bodies. We're stuck in them for most of our life. Or all of our life, most of our life. So quick, get acquainted with nipples and anus. And then they will not cause you strife. Angela's. In case anyone, because obviously we didn't say anything about me other than being a mortal enemy. This is the part I want you to plug. Yeah. You know... You're thinking, like, what is the context for, right. such, for such a tune and a country tune? I'm not a country singer, but I like to write songs in different styles and whatever in a way that will make people laugh. But I am a certified parenting educator, and I thought, you know, how can I take parenting skills to give people actionable steps for dealing with young kids, especially sort of like the 10 and under crowd, also while dealing with all their own childhood garbage that they as I like to affectionately say packed in my hospital bag like I became a mom and I had all my garbage that I hadn't dealt with from my you know my childhood and my parents and all that stuff and so I write catchy jingles so what's your elbow or rather your handle (laughs) uh it's just my name it's Ange, A-N-G-E, and then my last name, which is easier to spell to the tune of the Mickey Mouse song. Can we do that on Let's here? Do it. D-A-L-L-E-S-A-N-D-R-O. Hey! Two L's, one S, no apostrophe. So Ange D'Alessandro on literally everywhere. TikTok, Pinterest, uh, Instagram. It's the backslash for Facebook. I'm Twitter. so glad you came on today. Yeah, I'm so glad that I... You feel better? Here. I mean, I don't know. It's still, it's a real downer of a tale, but I do feel good for being here. I feel good that I logged 12 years of time with you to be able to sit with you on a Sunday and relive horrifying tales from my youth. And if you can't do that with your friends, who can you and do it with? go or go ahead, <laughs> as our favorite Rufus, Rufus Wainwright Wayne, right. would say. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. I love you dearly. Thank and you. I hope we have mutual. you back. Season two. All right. Angela, I almost forgot to tell you the good story. I like a good story. Well, as you know, we've all participated in some sins, but I always like to tie up each episode and kind of like tell you uh, something to uh, get you on your way for the day and uh, make you feel a little little spring in your step. All right, I'm ready. Well, this story goes back to when I was directing Avenue Q, and I saw a lot of really amazing auditions. This one boy walked in, and I could tell right from the get-go that he wasn't quite like everybody else. He was definitely on the spectrum. At the time, I had no patience for anyone or anything. It was the greatest audition I've ever seen for puppetry or, or for theater in general in that moment. And after he performed with a sock puppet for all of us, 
and asked us, is there anything else you want me to do for you guys? We were, I, I, my, my heart was in my throat. And I remember he, we, we excused him. We said, thank you for coming. And after he walked out of the room, I turned to the whole room and I went, how do I not reward an audition as good as that? Just because like he's a little bit different and he's on the spectrum and he's a little bit special. Um, how, how, how can I not do what's right, what the right thing is to invite this kid back for a callback and maybe even give him a part. And I remember turning to everyone going, but I know myself and I know how frustrated I get with people who are a little different. And you guys, if I do this, you all have to support me. You all have to be there for me when he gets on my nerves. And I did the right thing. I did cast him in the show. He became Trekkie. And he was absolutely flawless from beginning to end as far as like rehearsals. He was a very trying person though. Like he didn't really pick up too well sometimes on social cues. Like I would say to people at the end of a rehearsal, now does anyone have any questions or whatever? And his questions usually had nothing to do whatsoever (laughs) with like what what happened to be going on. And I'll be like, okay, we'll talk about that later, buddy. Okay, we'll we'll discuss, uh, you know, how you feel about not getting the lead in the show. And uh, maybe when no one else is around. Like, I'm sorry, that's not what this is about. Many weeks into rehearsal, his mom stopped me in the parking lot. And she called me over and she was like, I just want to thank you so much for putting him in this show. And it's just so good for me to come pick him up and hear him rave about how great rehearsals were and everything. She goes, I really want you to know that, like, you've changed his life. And like a Lifetime movie, I remember saying to her, no, he's changed mine. (laughs) (laughs) So... Every now and then when I feel a little bit out of control, um, I think back on that time and I remember how it felt to give a shot where a shot was deserved and maybe be a little bit more open-minded with people who don't necessarily learn the way that I do or react to things the way that I think is appropriate. And if we could all just be a little bit more open-minded, wouldn't the world be a better place? Yeah, no arguments here. Thanks for coming tonight. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You just listened to The Worst Thing You've Ever Done, a podcast where I explore the worst stories of my friends and strangers, each week with a special guest. Concept and editing by me, Brennan Joel Bartlett. Music by Anthony Babalacqua. Vocals by Kevin Lynch. Available on Spotify, Google Podcast, Radio Public, Copy RSS, and other platforms. Some names have been changed to protect the not-so-innocent. Send your future emails to worstthingeverdone at gmail.com. Thank you, Andrew.